Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. This is In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. I'm Farinaz Raleigh, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here with Locke Kelly. He is an author, meditation teacher, psychotherapist, and founder of the Open Hearted Institute. And I'm delighted to be here to talk with him about his newest book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. Thank you so much, Farah. Great to be here with you. So first of all, let's try and understand how is effortless mindfulness different from the kind of mindfulness that most people are familiar with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, When I went to uh, Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal, I did uh, effortless mindfulness, which most people know of as mindfulness. So its usual practices are focusing on our breath or one point in order to develop a kind of uh, one-pointed focus of our attention from moving from distraction and then observing the contents of our consciousness. Um, I did this for five-day retreats, 10-day retreats, 21-day retreats, and enjoyed it and felt uh, I got great benefits from it. Then I went up to uh, Nepal and met a Tibetan teacher uh, whose name was Toku Ergen Rinpoche. And he had just begun giving out this kind of advanced form of mindfulness, which he called effortless mindfulness. And he gave a talk for 15 minutes and then a simple way to shift awareness. And within three minutes, I felt the same way I did at the end of a 10 day retreat, except my eyes were open and I felt even more joyful and related, interconnected. Was that experience related to the technique and or related to the being in the presence of such a esteemed teacher? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And I asked myself that as well. The interesting thing is he told a story that he had done three three-year retreats in the traditional Tibetan system, uh, but that at 14, his uncle had given him a similar little pointing instruction And he said that at the end of three three three-year retreats, his experiential awakening was no different. So uh, what I've learned afterwards is that by writing this book and this other book I wrote and just sharing audio meditations, that people can get this shift of consciousness uh, by learning how to do it. So it isn't dependent on a guru or a presence, that it literally, that mindfulness, both deliberate and effortless, uh, 
are ways that you can learn to do this yourself in the midst of your day. And effortless mindfulness particularly um, can be done small glimpses during the day with your eyes open in the midst of your busy life. And you shift, once you learn what shifts and how does it shift and where does it shift into, uh, you change your consciousness to kind of from the chattering mind foreground that goes into the background and this kind of peace of mind or open-hearted, uh, interconnected, loving presence comes forward. And that's the key is that in effortless mindfulness, the principle is that it's already here equally within each of us. So there's no one who has more of it or less of it. And so we just learn how to access it. So you mentioned um, the ways of understanding how to shift into it or shift our, our consciousness or, or awareness. So let's talk specifically about that. How is that done? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I mean, <clears throat> it's unique. I mean, one of the reasons I think deliberate mindfulness um, has caught uh, fire really in, in our culture is that it uses pretty standard uh, ways or types of consciousness that we're used to. So say, okay, well, bring your attention to your breath. And so when your mind wanders, just gently bring it back and bring it back to this one place in your body. So we're using attention and our wandering mind, and then we go off to chattering mind and we come back and we develop this kind of attentional absorption or calming. Um, with effortless mindfulness, rather than uh, focusing narrowly, we literally feel that awareness is identified or attached to thought and that awareness can actually open to this more spacious uh, awareness from which we're then aware. So, so, you know, it's interesting that people do this naturally in many of the things they love to do, um, but it hasn't been broken down into how do you do it intentionally while you're sitting uh, or just doing it without, you know, walking in nature or gardening or uh, playing sports or uh, even driving a car. So it seems when you describe it that there's more of a letting go and relaxation than there is in terms of concentration and effort, which yeah. really are what meditation practices are based on is some kind mm -hmm. of concentration. Would you agree? Yes. Um, it's, it's definitely that you're, you're definitely not concentrating. You're not doing a, a narrowing down. <clears throat> it, it is a letting go. And the interesting thing is it's almost a letting go or a shifting or an opening or sometimes what I call unhooking of awareness that's attached or identified to this looping pattern of thought and emotion and literally letting it drop from head to heart, mind, so that you actually feel like you're looking out of the eyes of your heart or opening then to this spacious awareness. Like when you drive, um, <clears throat> if you love driving, 
you'll notice that you're kind of, you know, looking pinpointed as you walk around. But in order to drive, you sit and then you have to open your peripheral vision. And that opening takes the whole view in and it actually feels like then you're actually aware from this spacious open mind or open heart uh, back to be embodied and interconnected, which is the kind of description of the advanced um, practices in most traditions and is what are the markers of awakening. So this awakened consciousness is already here and the feeling of it is that it's uh, not thought-based, it's awareness-based, it's not small and confined to this battery of the body, nor is it located in a little thought-based mini-me behind my eyes looking out, that the primary uh, dimension of who we are is spacious and, and embodied and interconnected. That's the feeling of being um, uh, open-minded, open-hearted, non-worried, non-fear-based, non-shame-based, um, and when you learn to actually just shift what I call local awareness, which is kind of a, a, a focusing type of awareness that's not attention, but you can literally feel it moving, opening, and returning home to this uh, spacious view, this kind of open, uh, interconnected presence, um, you immediately uh, move this awakened consciousness into the foreground and you have a sense of being open-hearted and uh, less judgmental and less um, worried or depressed. This type of meditation seems very um, conducive and engaged or integrated with waking life. Yes. Yeah, so this is kind of the amazing thing is that this is the advanced practice that usually in most traditions, you know, like yoga, the eightfold <coughs> path of Buddhism or the eight limbs of yoga, the last limbs are concentration, then samadhi in yoga, in uh, Buddhism, um, there's deliberate mindfulness, which is sitting still, eyes closed being in a retreat center or joining a monastery or living in a cave. And then the advanced practices are often called uh, effortless mindfulness or non-meditation. And the practices that I teach that are kind of a contemporary version um, are called small glimpses many times during the day. So you literally do them with your eyes open. You can just look above your computer if you're at work or you can go on a walk or you just look out the window and then just feel your awareness drop open include i mean some people just by watching and feeling
that you can literally drop your consciousness and you and you're really it's what is moving is this uh is an awareness uh that can navigate your own consciousness and when you get a feel for it it's like oh why didn't i know that and most people actually do it when they're doing their favorite things um like walking in nature um they'll you know start walking with a goal or purpose and then they'll just like look around and then they'll just open and then they're out of their chattering mind they're in a kind of interconnected feeling of the trees and and a kind of relief and then literally there's this flow state that has been studied in um, psychology which is actually the optimal functioning state whose qualities are not uh, going and creating an ego of feeling interconnected with everything around us a feeling of joy or bliss a sense of functioning without needing to reference thought just kind of knowing something by heart and then uh responding like somebody playing uh in an orchestra playing a musical instrument they just let go and all of a sudden they're in a flow they feel the orchestra they feel the music which is technical but they're not thinking about it and so this becomes a uh, kind of this open-hearted version of awakened living that when i studied with these masters they kind of all had the same principles but they were missing certain gaps of teaching uh for westerners and then they often wouldn't give the kind of final teachings unless you kind of join the club and uh were the but then there started to be a group of teachers giving this out saying it's almost necessary because of what's happening in culture that we all begin to wake up regardless of where we are in our lives. So you've mentioned the the term open-heartedness and mentioned mm-hmm. specifically the reference in you know the world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um how how do those qualities of open-heartedness find their way into action that's really mm-hmm. helpful for the planet and and the people and and all all people and all the ways that people are suffering? Yeah. So so this is the, you know, amazing thing is it's you know, many of us are very sensitive beings and we're trying to live from this small ego center or I think therefore I am and in some ways my experience is we can't really live a fully intimate human life of compassion from an ego center it's almost necessary to shift into the next operating system which is fortunately already installed called awakened or open hearted awareness and so when we shift into that and then look through these eyes of uh the heart we see how we're connected with everyone and we also feel this support of this greater capacity to act uh and be motivated not from fear and not from anger but now from uh love and and just feeling like oh let's 
let's do something. Let's, let's do the part of it that I can do well and let's get gather with others and we can all work together. And you don't feel uh, overwhelmed, but you don't feel like you have to, you know, be the one who saves the world, but you feel right-sized and motivated from love. So it literally is, rather than attitudinally trying to develop loving kindness or trying to be attitudinally more compassionate, you drop into this essential consciousness and that's who you are. That's who you've been. That's what's underneath all the attempt to, you know, to be polarized into, you know, I got to do it this way. No, I got to do it that way. What's wrong with this? I got to do, you know, stop doing this, start doing that. Just drop out of that. And then there's this natural, compassionate activity that flows from there. Do you think that it's just a matter of time that as more people are able to attune to that natural state of being, that our world will reflect that and our, mm. our reality will be that? Mm-hmm. Or is this realm fundamentally a realm of suffering and duality? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing is that <clears throat> within this realm that's relatively suffering, there is this dimension of already accepting and compassionate activity that doesn't deny that things are a mess or that things, you know, don't always go well or that there's conflict, but there's a kind of an okayness or a well-being and a love. It's like a bigger view that doesn't deny the relative. It's not escaping uh, into a spiritual bypass. It's really transcending in order to include. And then there's just, um, you know, a willingness to kind of feel the support of the big, you know, bigger universe and act locally, you know, in a way that um, I think if we can feel this, um, it will it will be one of the pieces of the pie that's necessary for our planet to survive and for our uh, evolution uh, to continue forward. Well, that's positive and inspiring and hopeful. Yes. Now, um, you've been teaching this uh, to many, many students for a long time. Um, Are there any pitfalls or problems or challenges that come Mm -hmm. up for serious students or longtime practitioners or, or once you learn it, is it smooth sailing? Yeah. So, you know, the initial, because it's so, in some ways it's, it's so simple, but it's not easy because it's, it's like, what, what, what? And then once you do it, you can get a glimpse. And so within, with an hour and a half, meeting eight out of 10 people usually will get a glimpse of awakening. Um, And then people are speaking from there, you know, like Lao Tzu is in the corner and Kuan Yin is, you know, speaking and, you know, just talking from their heart about what's true. Um, But then the first operating system, the conditioning 
from survival and the conditioning from culture and the conditioning from psychological trauma are so strong and that habit of defending and trying to make sense comes back, uh, which with much more support um, from your neurology and, and cultural support. So that's really the main obstacle is just the power to return to that consciousness, which is just feels like, well, I'm just trying to do the best I can. What was that I did, you know, yesterday that made me feel like I was awake? Oh, yeah, well, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. And so it's kind of that um, getting back on the hamster wheel, uh, feeling the usual sense of self that feels like, well, I'm trying to do the best I can. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't, isn't willing to go through the process of, um, of just these small glimpses many times that it's like a developmental stage, I feel. I feel like awakening is the next natural stage of human development, like you know, going from adolescence to young adulthood. It takes some time, but it's done, it can be done in the middle of your life um, with some simple tools. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the main obstacle is it's culturally new and that it's the strength of the conditioning um, is such that it, um, it takes a real willingness to stay with it. Mm-hmm. So that would be uh, one of the important ingredients in succeeding is just a willingness and commitment to practicing the small glimpses many times. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and I think that's what will make the cultural difference is, um, is once there's enough people that are starting to say, Oh my God, you can't believe what my life was this way. And I can see it with my students now and other colleagues who teach in a similar way that there's groups of people that are just starting to say, wow, you know, my life was this way and now I'm in this flow and synchronicity is happening. And even when bad things happen, I just had somebody today who said her business, she had to go fly down because of business she had started. It was a new director. The whole thing fell apart. And um, she's just, you know what? I just didn't get that angry. I was like, I, was, I started this group meeting and we built our team and I lost money. But, you know, I was, I was different. And I, I felt like, okay, well, let's just start all together. Let's all see what we can do. You know, this happened. It's unfortunate, but, you know, and she said the spirit of the practice led her to, to really uh, lead from this open-heartedness. So as you were describing that scenario, I was thinking, um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't challenges or problems or difficult things that we face. There's just a different awareness that guides us through that and that is present in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, among the vicissitudes and, and change in life. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It's really kind of, it's a shift. You know, this is the thing. It, it is a shift of levels of mind from thought-based knowing to kind of awareness-based uh, flow. And it's a shift of identity from small, separate sense of self, thought-based, little mini-me, I think, therefore I am, 
to this open-hearted uh, wisdom mind, uh, heart mind, that is a bigger sense of self with a capital S that feels embodied, but feels that embodiment is kind of being within your body and connected to everybody. So it, it, it's a, the whole consciousness is not something you're trying to do or believe or philosophically uh, keep going. It's literally like, okay, there's already this, this consciousness, but we're over here and we're, we're trying to make it work from a small, can you drop and open and include? And in some ways that's, that's the simplest way, but what drops is this awareness. Um, so we could do a little glimpse if you want to see if people might just taste it. Perfect. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. So again, it's, uh, you know, often when I do this for uh, seminars, I do, you know, like an evening or weekend or five day retreat. Um, some people will get, you know, <clears throat> there's like 20 different doorways for the first principle <laughs> because there's different learning styles and there's different obstacles for different people. So this is one way that uh, may or may not work, but uh, there is uh, an opportunity to try it through, um, through my book, which is kind of a guidebook, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, or I have some YouTubes for free and ways to experience it. So, Simply the feeling uh, when you do deliberate mindfulness is you attend to your breath. So the, the object is, oh, be aware of your breath, uh, be aware of your breath. <clears throat> so here what we do is start to say, all right, be aware of where you're aware from your breath. So start to feel the normal sense of who you are. Where is that located? Like the smallest area that you're listening to me, that you're looking from, like where is that center, that mini me, that feeling of thought-based operating. So the sense is that that's just a pattern of thought and that awareness is its essential nature, this kind of spacious awareness. And that so then awareness, which is the intelligence, can simply unhook and step back and then it'll be able to drop like a, a globe of awareness to be aware of your jaw from your jaw, aware of your throat from your throat and aware of your heart space from your heart space. Yeah, so that some of you may have already done it that quickly, but that's kind of the sense of what's happening. So. You, the doer, is not doing that. You, the meditator or the attender, is not being aware from here to there. Literally, your whole field, your body has awareness within it. And so you're just shifting the location, decentering, and being aware from within your body, and then shifting, dropping from head to heart. So now without knowing how you do it, just see whether awareness can uh, 
move itself and then feel what it's like to open and drop, yeah? So start with that feeling of identification or attachment. Just the normal sense of feeling where you're aware from and then feel as if awareness is identified there and somehow awareness can just let go and open and just be aware of space And just from this open space, notice that open space can know both from outside and it can also drop and know your jaw and your smile directly from your jaw and smile. So it's like a globe of awareness that's dropped And then feel awareness move itself as it knows your throat directly from within your throat. So the subject and the object are in the same location, feeling this kind of effervescent aliveness, space, and awareness directly from within. And then feel as if awareness as it drops below your neck, feels that it knows your body directly from within. And then let this awareness drop until it finds a kind of heart space, a safe door that it can rest and go deep into the subtlest dimension of consciousness that knows directly within the atoms and you might go so deeply within that stream that it opens up behind you and outside of you as well or it just may feel like a safe heart space and just feel what it's like to not orient to thought and yet to know and be without doing, without efforting, almost as if you're looking out or feeling out of the eyes of your heart and as if that heart space opens up back behind you until it finds that awareness has your back. And so just see what it's like to be aware from your heart mind. What's the, what's let go of and what are the qualities of presence?
And so you could continue to do this on your own a little bit later, can rewind this and hang out, what I call marinate rather than meditate. Let your body and your presence marinate in this awareness-based knowing, this open-hearted, loving presence. And then I suppose um, when we take that presence uh, with eyes open <coughs> into our activities, there's a different quality that comes mm-hmm. forth in whatever we're doing, whether it's cleaning or interacting or gardening or emailing. Yeah, it's, it's like a different you. It's like the you that you know when you've been at your best in your life, when you've been with friends, when you've been in nature, when you've been free, or sometimes I say it's like people say like, oh, it's like when I was a kid and waking up on the first day of summer vacation. <laughs> it's, it's like this, oh my God, I can do anything and I don't have to worry and struggle and, and yet, you know, it's all possible. So it really is a shift of identity, a shift of, uh, of your consciousness into something that's like the hidden jewel. It's like a gift, something that's already installed that is hidden within us that, that all we have to do is find out how to access it. And the, so that's kind of the unusual thing that people will have to play with to feel but literally, it's that only awareness can know this awareness uh, experientially and directly. So we've been trying to know it with thought, with will, with effort, with attention, with um, you know our best devotion or even letting go, but not knowing what we're letting go of or what we're letting go into. And once we just feel these simple, like, re- re-engineering of of our of our practices into oh that's what's letting go oh that's what it's letting go into oh my god it's right here it just opens up into uh what we've always been seeking you know it um reminds me of the classical definition of nirvana which is cessation Mm -hmm. yes yeah. Like the feeling when everything stops or is um, the feeling that's already there when, when something isn't there anymore. So our, our, I think as you talk about it, our thought mind that we're yes. operating from. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we get philosophical or it sounds like it's cessation's negation or as if it's like, uh, you know, something that's like absence of everything. But the, the you know, the, the Buddha, Siddhartha Buddha, uh, when he was trying to do all this effortful yoga and then eventually said, oh, you know what, this isn't working. And he was sitting there eating his rice and his disciples who had been ascetics, you know, not eating said, oh, we got to leave. He remembered being a child sitting against a tree on a summer's afternoon after lunch and just doing nothing 
and then feeling this cessation of craving, the cessation of something to do, someone to become different than what is. And he felt this sense of joy, well-being, connection to, the, to nature. And that was it, cessation of the craving or the perpetual dissatisfaction. And then what's here is this, are these natural positive qualities of love and um, okayness. It's been um, so wonderful to be able to uh, experience mm. the glimpse um, and, and really strikes me that the effortless aspect of this type of meditation and the direct directness of it. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, you know, this, the book I wrote, it's, you know, it's kind of a, almost a fool's project in that, you know, writing about that, which can't be written about that's beyond words. Uh, but it's an attempt to create more of a guidebook to kind of say what it's not and, and a, how to look and where to look and what to look for. And then it's a series of glimpse practices that um, go through kind of the shifts of level of mind and kind of navigate the different places you can get caught um, in being too spaced out and being too blissed in in being caught in what I call the witness protection program, which is kind of disembodied witness. Um, so it helps you navigate um, moving your own consciousness. And, you know, it takes a little time to learn, but having taught, many different practices, this advanced practice of awakening takes no more time for a beginner to learn than uh, deliberate mindfulness or yoga or Qigong. So it's, it's definitely worth giving a look and giving it a try. And that's called the way of effortless mindfulness. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been um, such a Hmm, what's the word? So pleasurably spacious <laughs> yeah. to be with you and experience um, what you teach and what you yeah. offer. And I hope that it will inspire others to um, know themselves. Yes. Thank you so much. Yes, I feel, I feel your spaciousness too. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you, Farah. You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.